Hello, boys and ghouls. In this episode, we took a look at the highest grossing horror movie franchise, depending which list you read. With its deadly traps, frightening flashbacks, and twist endings, we saw Saul. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. Have you ever talked to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. saw it that's follows funny. i saw it follows while like a pint low on blood uh-huh anyways now that we're all loosened up mm-hmm. hey cat hi marshall we already know what our horror gab is going to be yeah because because i we subjected you to it yeah we experienced something and then decided not to talk about <laughs> it but save it for the mic so, I went over to your place to watch The Guest, something you're very excited to show me. Yep. And then you gave me your DVD copy, because you had one of those where it comes with the Blu-ray and the DVD. So, thank you. You're welcome. I can watch it whenever I want. Spreading the love. But before anything commenced, yourself and Alec, your own fiance, uh-huh. uh, were like, come into this room, a room I'd never been in, <laughs> and sit in this chair. A That's chair sitting suspiciously in. in the middle yeah, of the room. Yeah, it was right in the middle. We were like, sit down, Marshall. Then I was given, I guess, one of your iPhones. Yeah, it was my cell phone. Okay, in a cardboard contraption that looked homemade. And basically this served as uh, virtual reality goggles. Mm-hmm. It's basically a, not homemade, but made to be used at home sort of version of Oculus. Oculus o- Rift. Which you kept saying, but what is Oculus mm-hmm. Rift? It's a virtual reality gaming experience kind of thing. It's more like a helmet covers your face and ears and, you know, isolates you okay. from. Very expensive and kind of newish, but they are experiencing and experimenting with new ways of bringing people into a narrative. So it's not just about playing a game, but it's kind of can be about experiencing a story. And then there were headphones plugged into the phone yeah. and then on my ears. And you two were just like, tee-hee, tee-hee. Put on this thing. <laughs> so I put on the cardboard goggles with, with the iPhone inside and then the earphones, which really completely just kind of knocked out everything that wasn't sight and sound. Yeah. I was transported then to a old dark house with a storm and lightning. And what bothered me was I didn't know how long it would go on for. You sort I maybe of... should have told you that. But Alec didn't tell me before he put me through it. And so. that was something that, that like Michael asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, after yeah. me, like the next victim. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our good friend and listener, Mike Powery. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was like, how long does this go for? And I right. remember I was wanting to know, but not wanting to ask. Yeah. 
because you two seem very secretive right uh, about the whole experience and what you were experiencing by the way i don't want to give too much away let's not talk about for, what happens for all the people in it. who might go by their own well you can actually download the app for free what's it called and eventually it's called sisters and eventually it will become you know those little devices that you use that put on your face will become probably become available at home that was kind of a prototype but it's called Sisters, and you can download the app, which won't look like much of anything without 3D goggles. It's kind of like this weird double screen thing, but it puts you in this situation where you're in this old house, and you're in this room, and you can look around you, and scary things happen. We'll leave it at that. Almost as fun as to watch somebody else do it, once you've done it yourself. Yes, that is a lot of fun. You see someone you know, looking all around, you can see them get startled, not giving too much away. There's not much of a narrative. There's definitely some um just jump some, it's some really jump just jump scares. <laughs> the lights go out. It's... And and there's something that you're sure is going to like come to life but never does. Right. It's uh so you keep misdirect. You know, you're keeping an eye on that and then you hear something behind you so you look at that but then you want to go back and look at the first thing. Yeah. Cuz like you're just sure it's going to start moving at any moment. And then you know lightning and thunder and shadows on the wall and being from the outside of it you can just watch people Look around. Yeah, and go, ah! Now, the language you're using leads me to believe that you somehow got a hold of this before the rest of the public? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Can't talk, I don't talk too much about that, but... Yeah, it's not it's not something you can buy. You can so, you can download the app, uh, like I said, in the App Store on okay. an iPhone, but it's really kind of useless without the device. Okay. But yeah, uh, the device what is should people not look for available. For when it becomes available uh, do we know i don't know okay. i really part of it is There's me being cagey because first I... act horror movie thing that comes with hey here's this new technology we're all doing it <laughs> sit down in this chair marshall and then it's like seven days later exactly i get a weird phone call from you and then you disappear yeah. and i know that i'm next the last fun version of that is that part of it is I legitimately am not sure like what company's got. I don't know if it's going to be Oculus Rift, if it's branded by whomever. I have no idea. But the other part of it is, I mean, you know, I just I can't talk too much about where we got it from. Okay. Well, folks, I guess our best advice is hold off on getting that app. But uh, I think the advice is just Google um, Sisters VR. Yeah. Yeah. And see, see what people are saying and, and just saying. be excited because I think the takeaway is that horror is going to be able to be experienced in some new and different ways in the near future i'd say this makes for a good um it's kind of scary it's not crazy scary uh what i'm saying is once this thing becomes a reality and you've got to say host a halloween party for a bunch of 13 year olds <laughs> it's not a bad investment yeah once this thing um becomes more widely available absolutely uh, look for that it's a really good the perfect term for it is parlor game yeah an sure. excellent game for your parlor and the other kind of apps that are available for it are vr stuff you've seen before like a roller coaster or some other kind of theme park ride which i didn't do with you because those are cool but we've all done that kind of stuff in an arcade you yeah. know sisters is really what it's all about all right you heard it here first because it's really not all the way ready yet. Hello, madam. Dr. Gordon. I want to play a game. The jigsaw killer. Technically speaking, he's not really a murderer. He never killed anyone. Dr. Gordon, your aim in this game is to kill Adam. If you do not, then Diana will die. He finds ways for his victims to kill themselves. 
sick of people who don't appreciate their blessings. I've given you a life purpose. Looks like our friend Jigsaw likes to book himself front row seats to his own sick games. He doesn't want us to cut through our chains. He wants us to cut through our feet. Most people are so ungrateful to be alive. Not anymore. You are a drug addict. Do you think that is why he picked you? He helped me. Uh, Kat, you um, have been, in your own words, bursting with things to say about the Saul series. Yeah. I am well informed about it, but I'm not really bursting. You know, it's just like, I've seen them now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And especially, you know, in the moment, especially as each one would end, I'd be like, bruh, what? Because at first I was doing like, watch one, listen to the commentary. Watch two, listen to the commentary of two. And, and so on and so on. But once I, I kind of got going, I no longer listened to the commentary. I wanted to see what happened next. Because they were pretty good at, at ending with it like, this guy? And then they'd... Someone would slam a just, door. and slam a yeah. door. <laughs> and be like, directed by. And you're like, well, I happen to have the very next movie sitting next to me. Right. So instead of taking the time to digest the film and think about it and analyze and go, hmm, yes... I was just like, next disc! Six straight hours of horror movies. And we should say now, turn back if you don't want spoilers. Because yeah. it's fairly impossible to talk about some of the sequels without spoiling what came before. Yes. Here there be spoilers. Here there be spoilers. Before we begin, you must all be warned. That's it. I, I really just wanted a good upfront. Sure. About yeah. spoilers. Yes. Okay, well, let's continue, you and I, who have yeah. seen all seven. It's very difficult to know where to start, but you and I will not be going through this plot-wise from the very beginning, though I highly encourage you, if you haven't, to go read an actual chronology of the events of the Saw films, because it's, it gets very confusing. But they explain to you how everything really happened in real time. Mostly, I, I can keep that kind of thing straight in my head. It's when it got revealed to me that I have trouble with. Got it. So... I guess I should start by saying that I, I rented on DVD mm -hmm. the first film. I was home for Christmas from college. I rented it, watched it by myself in the living room at midnight on Christmas Eve. Okay. Well, <laughs> I that's don't know, not ideal. I don't know why, but I did. So that was my experience the first film. I was horrified, invigorated. I thought it was really good. But then I guess what happened is, as all the sequels kept rolling out, I had the misconception that a lot of people have, which is... Then, then it would be like other horror franchises, where it's just the killer's the same, although once we learned that the Jigsaw had died, right. then it's like a copycat killer with a whole new fresh set of victims each time, yeah. which... Sounds repetitive. And I'm not even sure I thought it through that much. I wasn't concerned about story. I was concerned about the fact that my perception from the posters and from what I'd heard was that the movies were just gore fests with no plot. It's the most brutal, the most outrageous, the bloodiest film ever produced. The other part of this that I just have to disclose is that over the last probably 10 years of my life, I've, I've dealt pretty intensely with anxiety 
which manifests itself in different ways at different times, and it's not worth getting all the way into, but the point is, it, the idea of going into a theater and trying to make it through one of these films made me nervous, and I didn't want to have to get up and walk out if I needed to take a break from the... The, the tension. The in, yeah, the, it's intense. The noise, you know, if you're in a, I can only imagine if you're in a darkened theater, it's very loud, it's very overwhelming, lots of screaming, loud noises. Um... You know, sometimes you've been with me in situations where I've gone through Halloween Horror Nights mazes that were really intense and I've laughed and it's fine. And you've also been there with me when I've had to leave because of a trigger, something that I couldn't do. So it's 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 kind of unpredictable, which is why I was just kind of like, okay, I don't think I can handle that. And so I dismissed that as a thing that I'm not into. But at some point during the sequels, I decided what these movies were. You know, oh, that's the kind of horror that's not my thing, so I'm not going to visit it. So, Kat, you assumed, thereby making an ass out of oom. (laughs) I was going to let you finish that, and I'm glad I did. But what's beautiful about Boys and Ghouls is it has forced me to already in the almost three years. In fact, as you're listening, if you're listening to this the day it releases, it's exactly our three year anniversary birthday, which is exciting. But in this time frame, I've had to go outside my comfort zone a little, most of the time to watch things that just kind of didn't interest me. But I'm glad then that I watched because it opened me up and helped educate me. This was a little different because it was like forcing myself to something you were actively do something avoiding. I was, yes, that I was nervous about doing. And yet this was your idea. It was. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm very glad that I took this journey. It wasn't always easy, but I think it was a really big lesson to me. Hey, Jigsaw taught me something. And that's when to grow on. For those people only tenuously familiar with Saul, who don't mind a bag full of spoilers. Yeah. What's Saul about? The Saul series. The first one is really just a setup. Because it's not until the end of the first one do you even realize who Jigsaw really is and what his motivation is and what his modus operandi is. So I guess the franchise itself is about a serial... Well, he doesn't... He doesn't like the term, but you know what? Like the term killer. He doesn't want to kill people. But basically, who is terminally ill... And had a failed suicide attempt, both of which kind of gave him this idea that people need to appreciate their lives and he wanted to help them appreciate their lives by putting them through ordeals that will give them a sense of clarity on the other side. And it's often associated with some kind of morality. It's usually pretty specific to how they've been living their lives is how they'll be tested. There's usually a metaphor somewhere in the test. Yeah. Some of them pretty clear. Others, it's a bit of a stretch. That's right. Now. For sure. The way he does this is all mechanical. We find out he was a civil engineer. Yes. So that's how they explain that. Some people, that's the best part, is the traps. It's less the cat and mouse games. It's less even the lessons. It's the traps. I'm going to argue with you just a little bit there, because that's the impression I had before I started watching these movies and reading what people online are saying about them. But I think for the most part... I think most fans actually are extremely invested in the plot twists and probably equally enthusiastic about the creativity of the traps. But I bet you you'd be hard pressed to find someone who was just like, I don't really care about the story. I'm here for the traps. I feel like most hardcore Saw franchise fans are really into all the cat and mouse. Another assumption I had was that 
because these were coming out every year that these are just cash cows. But really what I've come to understand is even when writers were, even when they were pushed for time, it really felt like they were working very hard to, to make it interesting. Yeah. Despite how convoluted it is and there are holes and all of that, but it's, they weren't just phoning it in like you see with so many other franchises. I just don't think they were. Corners had to be cut to get it out on time, but there was still a great deal of like caring to to make it all make, just make sense. Somehow my heart was warmed in this process by that amount of care, which I never thought ever that I would feel that way about this. And... Part of the way that, as a franchise, it rises above other franchises is its reoccurrence of characters. It's, it's all and it's, it's continuation. part of one story. Every single chapter is all part of the whole. Yeah. Is that true of any other franchise? I mean, I, I know I haven't seen well, all the franchises. I mean, I usually you can get, like, one person back. I mean, I, I'd have to just think of franchises individually here. But, like, in The Alien, you get Zagorny Weaver back for each one. Yeah. You always need Freddy Krueger. And you've gotten a Nancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Nancy back for part three. Yeah. But and, she gets killed. But above all, like, like no one ever made it to six that started in one or two. Right. Certainly not in the Friday the 13th films. The survivor from part one made it into part two for a hot second. But to have a core group of actors, not just your killer, to come back and play different roles, not different characters, but like rise and fall in importance and mm-hmm. focus mm-hmm. is... um. I'll just say unprecedented. Yeah. And if it's not unprecedented, it's definitely rare. It's uncommon. Totally. And a delight. Yeah. For someone watching all seven. Yeah. It's not just a complete do-over. There's definitely things from the past that are revealed, but nothing I would call a retconning. No one goes back and tries to rewrite history. They're just saying, here's a little more information about what was going on in this scene you've already seen, to the extent that they would rebuild replicas of sets and film new material that happened in scenes from two movies ago. Yeah. And you see what occurred in the blank spots in between what you're seeing. And you see like what happened up to seconds before a scene would start. Yeah. Which is as a fan, which I can call myself now. Me too. Before I was just an observer, really. Just kind of, no, not an observer. I was a consumer. Mm -hmm. I was just consuming it. Now I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Good for us. I would call myself a fan too. The device around your neck is a death mask. The mask is on a spring timer. If you do not locate the key in time, the mask will close. Think of it like a Venus flytrap. Was this, were there ever moments that were completely impossible for you with this? You don't, you, Mm. it's, if loyal Boys and Ghouls listeners will know that Marshall does not, take too well to the self-mutilation which unfortunately is a large part of some of these traps yeah are you asking me implausible or Mm -hmm. or just difficult to watch no difficult to watch the twisting machine whenever they showed bone ah mm -hmm. whatever the next 10 seconds were i didn't see didn't jigsaw say that was his favorite trap somebody i'm pretty sure the one with the guy i I think he was exceptionally proud of drunk driver yeah yeah i think that he said that was so they made that one nice and long for the unrated version. Oof. That's a, that's a tough one. So it was just a lot of me kind of looking at my coffee table, hearing, and just the guy screaming. That one was rough. From the following one, the hotel guy who has to blind himself. Yeah. You know, usually it's like, mess up your hands. I don't want to mess up your hands. Okay. Yeah. And people have messed up their hands and died. People have messed up their hands and lived. 
Uh, someone had to like put their hand in acid. The one guy has to reach into like the, pen the pendulum thing with, with both hands. The people at the end of, I want to say six, have to like get out the six pints of blood. Uh-huh. With, they're, they're, and they're, they live. They're one of the few survivors out yeah. of the whole thing. And they've just got this big slit up yeah. arm. Like, gross me out the door. The topic right now is least favorite traps. I guess I'm just asking you, yeah, what's the hardest for you to watch? And then I'll tell you, you show me yours and I'll show you mine. Because okay. I think it's really interesting to see which ones bother people the most. I'll tell you what the worst best one was. And slash best worst. Uh, please. Would have been part three, the judge. Oh, God, please. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is my Twofold. favorite trap. Because it was positively disgusting and then thank god that's the only one of its kind in the entire series because if there had been more of that i'm not sure i could have made it through them but the self-sacrifice part of it was the best among them mm. usually the self-sacrifice is you know you've got to cut off so much of your body stick it on a scale was this the one where he had to burn his son's yeah toys so okay first things yeah please set us up to please describe this trap to me that i never want to think about again well Ugh. There's a guy, Jeff. Jeff Denlin. Who is the focus of part three, who lost his son to a drunk driver, who is no longer going on with his life or his marriage or really... Taking care of his younger daughter who's still alive. Taking care of his younger alive. daughter due to his grief. Massive grief. And his vengeful feelings towards the people who yeah. he feels were responsible or culpable later for so, things that happened. The witness that drove off, the guy who actually hit the kid, and the judge who gave him just this slap on the wrist. He's being taught forgiveness and the ability to move on. Right. He comes upon this big vat and chained at the bottom is the judge. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Here so what's going to come? Is it going to be spikes? Is it going to be saw blades? Is it going to be jabby things? They'll just jab him. Right. When in fact, he is in this receiving end of ground up pig juice. So they're giant pig carcasses Which, covered in maggots that are being pulled along yeah. an assembly line and dropping one by one into this like Even chopper that liquefies them liquefies and them. it pours over the judge so like up his nose like it yeah. pours over him just in all the wrong ways yeah no he's not standing upright we don't get six feet of of pig juice before we're done he's lying down so really at like a foot and a half of pig goo he'll just drown in it yes now, but to me, the worst part is that it, like, as it rushes over him, it's like going up places where it shouldn't go, and I will have nightmares about this. Yeah. Nightmares. And nightmares! Meanwhile, Jeff can just let him drown in pig slop and just walk away, I guess. There's really nothing stopping him from going on to the next phase of things. Right, exactly. Or somewhere in all of his son's like stuffed animals and, and childhood possessions that he's been preserving since his son's death are all in a big incinerator, and it's like somewhere in there is a key incinerate them and the key will be immediately revealed and so he has to decide this guy who he doesn't like versus all these possessions that he adores and is just emotionally emotionally attached to yeah bound to yeah and that are kind of trapping him yes as it were. yeah from moving on yeah so, it is it is pretty beautiful apart from the pig slop yeah so usually <laughs> it's like hey you like your hand right well what if you had to sacrifice it in the name of either another person or your own life mm -hmm. Or, hey, you like your eyeballs, right? Or any other body part. Yeah. But in this case, it was actually his dead son's stuffed animals. Yeah. To be sacrificed. Balanced with the grossest death I can really think the of. The grossest thing I've ever seen. 
It's yeah. so I mean, no one got awful. chopped up, but that pig juice was really... Really disgusting. Blech. So there you go. That is my simultaneous best worst track I'll take of you the through... entire seven films. That was the hardest one for me to watch. Bar none. Hands down. I enjoy dirty things as much as everyone else does, but this isn't even dirty. It's just disgusting. With the exception of two of these, and I've got one, two, three, four, five of them. So three of these are very similar in nature, and two of them are not. But I think the three that are kind of speak to what my thing is, I guess. So I'll go with the two that aren't first. Um, the thing that makes you squirm the most? Yes. The beginning of six, where it's the scale and it's the two predatory lenders who are in the room and they each have a scale and whoever gives the most flesh will live. And the guy cuts off his stomach and she cuts off her arm. And I, I'm sure I said out loud, by the way, I watched all of these films except for the last one by myself. I think I said out loud to myself and the room, like, that's how you open a Saw film. Because that scene was so intense and yeah. loud and, like, traumatizing. They didn't have a whole lot of time and she's hacking at her arm. And, I mean, I was just like, holy cow. And plus it was like skinny lady versus fat guy. Yeah. He starts cutting off the love handles. She even scrambles at her own trim stomach. Yeah. And she's like, ah! There, there's nothing there. Yeah. To and then she does what she has to do, yeah. which is kind of fun. Um, so there was that one. The insurance executive who, um, at the end, the son of the guy he, you know, denied coverage to or whatever, flips the switch and for him to die. And this big grid thing comes down and, like, impales him with a bunch of spikes that then shoot, like, hydrofluoric acid into his body and he just melts. Yeah. Like, acid melts. Like, his whole body's just... It chops him kind of in half, but then the... Yeah, the acid just kind of makes the lower half of his body into goo. Like, that moment just got grosser and grosser, and I was like, what am I watching? He's half the man he used to be. But the other three that were really difficult, and I'm going to go down to the one that was the very hardest for me to watch. You already mentioned it, but in part five, the bloodletting trap. Yes. That was the, like, five people, and they whittled him down to two, and then they realized, like, it was meant for five. Like, if they had stuck together throughout, they wouldn't that have had to lose so much blood. was the greatest moment for me since... Your son is in a safe place. Yeah. When they put it together that all they had to do was work together. Which is against all of the their beginning. natures. Yeah. But instead, they would just sort of turn on one in each trap and be like, you die. Yep. Now, they basically got to cut their arms to ribbons. Yeah. Because four rooms ago, they couldn't just work together. Yep. What do we do now? Now we work together. You know, teamwork. What's a TM work? The arm trap in Saw 2 that the girl, they're in the nerve gas house, and the girl goes into the room and she sees there's a an antidote in a syringe inside a plastic box. So yeah. she sticks her arms up through the things to grab it, but then realizes she can't pull her arms back out because Without. there are, like, blades yeah. that are cutting her wrists. That one they didn't even show. Oh, you God. just heard her screaming from the other room. Awful. Having said that, let me play uh, Jigsaw's Advocate here for a second. There was a tape recorder attached to that one. Yeah. That she dismisses. Right. So I couldn't work out how, but probably within that tape recorder would have been a way to not lose both your arms sure. and die. Yeah. Because it never got played. And personally, just looking at the box, I can't guess what that would have been. No. Yeah. And then finally, the trap that I think I had to look away from the most. Number one was Jigsaw's very first trap. Do you remember what that the was? knives on the face. Face knives. Yeah. There are knives in front of his face and now he has to push one, his face through them in order to get out of the trap, which he gets out of and then still dies, but 
Yeah. No, not. Now, what, what, what part was this? That was in part four. Now, Jigsaw having died at the end of three, after that, it's a lot of flashbacks that let you see what he was up to. Yeah. And in part four, we as an audience get to see his first ever contraption, which isn't as elaborate as the others. No. But still works off the same principles of if I take this person, who was the guy who, while trying to rob the methadone clinic, pushes the door against Jigsaw's pregnant wife, thereby costing them the baby. So he was really first on the guy's list. And you now realize by the end of four, where he's getting these lists from, he's mostly either targeting people who attended the methadone clinic, which if you just like look at the people like sitting in the waiting room, it's victims from previous films. Yeah. All hanging out there. Or people sort of handed to him through his accomplices. Like, how does he know about all this police work stuff? Right. Because he's got a guy on the inside. Right. So what we didn't mention before when we talked about what the franchise is about was the kind of second half to all the films, which is the law enforcement storyline that's kind of interwoven. Some of these movies are kind of like half traps, half cops trying to work out something internally or find the killer or In in part one, it was, of all people, Danny Glover. Yeah. I'm too old for this shit. As the obsessed cop tracking Jigsaw and getting quite close. Yeah. But and talking like this. Yeah, it's because he got his throat cut for, for <laughs> his, his efforts. Oh, boy. But then starting with part two, we get to know a whole host of police officers. And then FBI comes in and they start becoming part of the story. And really, by four, the police that had been investigating the whole time really become just the subject. And first, they're just the subject of being victims. But then... It turns out that one of the cops was working with Jigsaw the whole time. Yeah. Which was one of those cliffhangers. You realize he was working with Jigsaw, but the extent of which you just want to know. So in comes the next disc. Yeah. And you get like more backstory and you realize that the cop had actually killed the guy who had killed his own sister using a Jigsaw trap. To frame Jigsaw. To frame he Jigsaw. wanted to kill the guy. But he didn't want to obviously get in trouble for it. So yeah. he, he's like, this is convenient. There's a crazy serial killer on the loose. So I'll just make an elaborate thing. Kill I the guy that way. I'll use his M.O. Yep. He's got his own M.O. Modus operandi. So Jigsaw approaches him and says, uh, listen, uh, I think you can help me out here. I'm going to turn you in if you don't. Yeah. And he says, not for nothing, but... Uh, I have a good thing going here, and I think you might appreciate it. Yeah. And he does. He does, because you know why? He's a crazy, sick psychopath. Well, there's a pretty short list of people who would really get on board with this kind of thing. Yeah, and he was lucky enough to find one. So, Constance Mandalore. He's... One one time correctly pronounced. Yes. Costas Mandalore? That's it. But yes, his character, I mean, it progresses to the point where in... 3D, in part seven, he is a straight-up slasher running around jabbing knives under people's chins. Like, just stabbing people. Yeah. Just one after the other. He's like a really messed up, like, hands-on kind of Terminator psycho. Just plowing through a police station. Just plowing through people. Anyway, your your whole point of bringing him in was you were talking about how he got involved. So how the cop story is interwoven into Jigsaw's So then, you know, you'll see sort of the, the main game player of each one which from there you go to the insurance guy and then you go to the guy who 
wrote the book about Jigsaw who faked a Jigsaw experience. He so, pulled so he the could... James Fry or whatever the guy's name was, the guy who wrote A Million Little Pieces. Yes. Do you remember? He like he was like who went on Oprah. Yeah, who went on Oprah and talked about it, and then she got really pissed at him because he lied about like most of the things in the book. Yeah, I guess uh, Jigsaw got really, really pissed at him. <laughs> yeah. Or did he? It was that part wasn't really clear to me. Or was that Constus? Or was right. it the third accomplice? <gasps> the what? Off, the off suspected Dr. Gordon. Dr. Gordon. Well, I guess he's kind of the fourth accomplice. We're, we're not even talking about Amanda. Well, so Amanda, Constus. Yeah, third accomplice. I wasn't sure if you were going to talk about Jill, who is oh. who is implicated but not really an accomplice, just kind of complicit Com- in it. Culpable, culpable or whatever the C word is. She never participated. For. Right, but, but she knew. She knew something was happening. Yeah. I think she just mostly knew things after the fact, but there is such thing as accomplice after the fact. It's true. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yes, aside from her, first you found out about Amanda at the end of part two, and you're like, and Amanda is, to our knowledge at the time, the only person who had survived a jigsaw trap. And she had said, wow, he saved me. And then joined forces with him. Yeah. Meanwhile, Costas Mandalore had been working with Jigsaw already, but Amanda didn't know about it. At some point they met. They did, but that wasn't revealed until later in the series. So at first, all we see is Amanda working with Jigsaw, but we know now that Costas was working, Hoffman was working with Jigsaw during entire films that Amanda didn't just didn't know about him yet until we see later in flashbacks that she did, but we didn't. We didn't know Dude, she did. I, this is why I say go try well, to read a there's chronology. No scene, there's no scene where it's like Amanda Hoffman, no. Hoffman, Amanda. <laughs> but one of the ways they will reveal that someone's been working with him the whole time is go back to a pig mask abduction, which we haven't really gotten into it. The tropes of Jigsaw is a voice on a tape recorder, it's all kind of garbled and that's very sometimes ominous. that's sometimes a voice that is being spoken through a doll on a videotape. Which is sometimes, sometimes the doll, yeah. a rather creepy looking. They call it the Billy doll, but they never. They never say that in the franchise. It's more of a behind the, the scenes yeah. thing. Billy the puppet. Yeah, and then there's Jigsaw himself, John Kramer. Yeah. Who will just show up played as by himself. Tobin Bell, who is freaking amazing. I love him. He's a talent. I think he's pretty good. And then there's the pig face mask. Where when someone is getting abducted and then they wake up in the trap, a shadowy figure in a pig face mask. With fierce hair. Do you notice how beautiful the hair always is for no reason? The hair is gorgeous on these pig masks. Anyway. We'll burst out of the shadows and abduct them. Yeah. So a way that they show that this person was an accomplice all along because Jigsaw has been in failing health. How is he Since lifting people and placing people and putting keys and behind their eyeballs people. and abducting them and doing all kinds of crazy things? They will show like, hey, remember when this guy was abducted? Yeah. It was this other person the whole time. Yeah. And you're like, well, then I'm on board. Right. Which, as you said, it's tempting to call it retroactive continuity, which is a term. Retcon is a term that came up, I think, during our Friday the 13th yeah, when podcast episode. changing. Right. Each subsequent film was like, okay, well, I guess they're just changing entire core aspects of this. But really, in the Saw franchise, they're not. They're just giving you new information that you didn't have before about things that have already happened. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool for a genre that usually doesn't even mess around with such things. Yeah. Most sequels are just kind of clean slates. Probably due to that so many people die. And like, so who are you going to get back? Yeah. Really? Does your character die in the script? No. Then 
It's a good script. But what about art? It's not about art. It's about sequel. Going um, off of Amanda and now we know Dr. Gordon. <laughs> yeah. As survivors who then, which teams you might say, what's his success rate? Jigsaw's success That's rate. That's a very good point. It's it's low. It's very low. It's like as low, if not lower than the, the Rotten Tomato the, scores. They of had the like this, the survivors group. <laughs> yeah. Okay. First of all, almost everybody dies. Yes. Nearly very nobody close to everyone dies. Gets out. So, a minimal level of survivors. <laughs> and then so few of the scant amount of survivors you have, and then do you just disqualify those who then go to work for the other side, or are, do champion them. Well, as like if post grads, if his rate of success with making people appreciate their lives were higher, I'd say you champion the people who turn because they're just going on to fight the good fight okay. and help more people. But it doesn't really help many people. Nope, very few. And then on top of all that, that that low number of survivors. One of them, it does not appear that she has changed her tune at all. That's the one who chopped her own arm, yeah. her own arm off. Yeah. In the movie she was in. Costas even says, like, what'd you learn? What did I learn? I learned to have one less arm. Right. And Look then, at me. Yeah. Yeah. And then when she's part of the support group, people are like, well, and that, that's when I learned that my life was valuable. I just learned to have one less arm. Like, like she's she still pissed. She's not letting it go. Of like the 2% of game players who managed to walk out alive and is no the better for it. So I'm calling that a really low success rate. Yeah. Which makes you think, like, is Jigsaw paying attention to that? Is he not think, or, you know, whoever's... What was keeping him going? Yeah. Just this, the hope. Like, for a while, he just had Amanda and was like, well, it worked with her, so right. it could work again. Which is, you know, there's the scene where he takes Amanda to Jill's office, to his wife's office, and he's like, yeah. she's like, oh, it's such a tough road trying to get these people clean. You know, she runs a drug treatment clinic mm -hmm. or whatever. And he's like, but... Look, you thought she was a lost cause, and look at her now. She's clean. She's sober. This works. My method works. Yeah. By the way, even if he gave everyone, like, ten minutes instead of, like, the one minute he seems to give everybody. Right. Or whatever. Dr. Gordon had a day. Yeah. He had a whole day to decide to chop his foot off. Other people get 60 seconds. Yeah. I'm wondering how many people would come out of it and be like, I'm no longer addicted to heroin. Right. That's kind of a chemical issue yeah. that you have. Not to mention the fact that, you know, I just think about like life lessons in general. And I get it. These are extreme circumstances. But how often do you hear the adage of like, you can't force someone to learn a lesson. They have to learn it in their own time. Sure. It's like just because Jigsaw got terminal cancer and so knew he was going to die and then attempted to commit suicide and survived that and had a revelation on his own about the value of life doesn't mean he can force other people into having a revelation. Like, he obviously Further, that's his whole M.O., but can you force someone to go, like, I get it now? Um, Clearly not, because <laughs> most of these people either die or go, that well, was awful. It's like, well, you can help people, you can't save people. You know, Sounds like someone needs to put Jigsaw through some kind of trap that teaches him. Well... He it, did that to Rig. To his credit, he was willing to sacrifice himself in the name of other people learning something. Mm -hmm. He was willing to get beat up by Donnie Wahlberg pretty fiercely. And then the final test to see if the guy was really still vengeance-driven was himself. He presents himself. And he does. He's immobile in a hospital That's bed. That's right. That one cost him his Yeah, and he goes, I forgive life. you, and then slashes his throat. With a saw. 
With a saw. Yeah. That's right. Something that I just, I guess I just jumped to a conclusion at the end of part one, and I never got out of my head, even though they never addressed it, is I always thought that the brain tumor led him to kill. Oh. Not just the idea that he's facing death. But that the physical the pressure physical is brain tumor itself some issue in his head. Affected his thought process to the point of... Never once occurred to me, but I like that. Becoming psychotic. Because it's a real jump. There's there's hospitals full of the terminally ill. Yeah. None of them, I'll say, are out devising traps for people. Not to mention that he's lucky enough to not only... he He's this way, but he's able to convince Amanda to be this way. He finds Hoffman, who's cool with being this way, because he's a psychopath. And yeah. Gordon is the least plausible of all of them. Because it's like, Hoffman, okay, already wants to kill. Amanda, drug addict, susceptible to influence, goes through this rev... I could buy it, but the way that they say that, oh, Dr. Gordon was the one helping him with the medical stuff all along, without showing us like how the hell Dr. Gordon got from upstanding member of society, oncologist, normal guy with a family, to I'm going to help this crazy serial killer. We don't get yeah. to understand that. He, they don't show us that progression, which is a huge no. failing on the last film from where I'm you know what? sitting. All, all it was for me was they gave Jigsaw a limp in one shot. Alec pointed that out. He was, yeah. And I, mm -hmm. Well, I read that on, I don't know where, like a message board or something. It's, apparently it's after the key, the eyeball key behind yeah. the eyeball trap. Like, like the guy who sets, who's setting up that guy walks out with a limp. And of course the fans go, whoa, it's, it's Dr. Dr. Gordon. Gordon. So I had from part two, I had from parts two to seven to be like, oh, where's Dr. Gordon in this? Hey, there's some surgery, but Dr. Gordon could have done that lickety split. Right. So when he finally comes back in part seven, I'm just like, yeah, it's Dr. Gordon, old Limpy McGee there, <laughs> working his surgery. So I had sort of primed myself for that sure. jump in believability. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Am I dead? You're not dead. You've been taken against your will. Kobe? Who is that? Dr. Phil? Fun fact. Oh my gosh, tell me. So they did part one, and most of it takes place in the industrial bathroom. And then Scary Movie 4, which used the fingers on the poster... You have part two was like two two severed fingers mm -hmm. representing one, two. Yeah. Scary Movie 4 used three severed fingers to form the, the number four for their poster. Mm -hmm. So that was fun. It starts and ends with a Saul parody. Pretty fun. It's uh, Shaquille O'Neal and, and Dr. Phil and he can't make the, uh, the shots. Oh boy. And then uh, Dr. Phil says like, I'm going to cut my own foot off. And he does, but it's the wrong foot. Huh. <laughs> The set was then observed by the Saul producers came by, and it seems some of the props, which means the toilets themselves, were actually used in Saul. Mm-hmm. Because they said that they could, like, still see, like, the heart that was, like, kind of drawn on one of them. Yeah. Was still on one of the commodes. Then the Saul producers, who were looking at making, I guess, part three, were moving production from Los Angeles to Toronto. First one was made in L.A., all the rest were made in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And gave a look at this set, which was part made up of their own set pieces, largely recreated by the... A, uh, and a pretty good recreation. Yeah, pretty good recreation by the, the good people at Scary Movie. 
then purchased their parody set, shipped it to Toronto to then use it as their actual set Yeah. for several of the sequels. It's pretty fun. I do like that what was their parody then became the real deal. Yeah. Fun fact. That was a fun fact. My favorite fun fact I learned was somehow this had escaped me, but that Lionsgate put on a blood drive every year in association with the films. Do you know about this? No. They called it their Give Till It Hurts blood drive in association with the films. And apparently if you gave a pint of blood, you got a ticket to see whatever chapter was coming out that October. Neat. So they held it every year. I think... I want to say from the first film or maybe the second, but very early on in the process. And they did it every year and every year they got more and more. You can find online how many pints of blood they they got each and it went up each year. So it became a uh, little cool little tie in. And also I love Tobin Bell gave some blood and they mixed his blood in with paint to make some posters that were like collectibles that they sold for 20 bucks a pop and gave the money to charity or something. With real blood. It was made with real blood, his real blood, which is kind of fun. All right. Yeah. There are so many fun facts like that all over the internet and so many really cool pieces of trivia about the films that like we just don't have time to get to that because you can look them up on your own. But there's a lot of really fun little gifts like that all over the place. Nice. Good job, Saul people. Yeah. Hello, Mark. Yeah. Much like the Saw films, let's flash back to the first Saw film and uh, discuss how did it all begin. You mean behind the scenes? Yeah. A name we haven't mentioned once in this entire podcast. Oh my podcast. god, how terrible is that? We're bad people. We're bad people. I feel like most people know some of the basic tenets of the origin stories of Saw, which is James Wan and James Lee Wan L. James Wan has gone on to uh, some pretty big things. At the time of this recording, Furious 7 just came out in theaters. But he was uh, an independent filmmaker in Australia. And him and Lee Wanell They were said, fresh out of film school. Yeah. They said, what can we do economically? And the idea of two people in a room. And the way they filmed it, actually, they're rarely in the same shot. So if it was like, I can only get one guy at a time, they could have still filmed most of it. Yeah. It would have been tough going. But two guys, one room. For over half the film, I think the first 15 minutes definitely is all set in just that one room. During which, by the way, Tobin Bell really was laying in the center of the film. That wasn't a body double or a prosthetic, which they made an excellent prosthetic for uh, the beginning of part four, when it's his corpse on the slab. But uh, when it was time for him to uh, play dead, he was just hanging out on the floor Mm -hmm. every day. I think it took uh, six days, and they shot in order. Commitment. Lee was playing Adam, who is opposite Carrie Always. Carrie Always was the one guy chained up in the bathroom. The other one was the Mm co-writer, who has gone on to a delightful comic effect as Specs in the Insidious films. None of the sequels were directed by James Wan. No. They executive produced a few of them in there, yeah. Probably all of them. And Lee Wanell co-wrote two and three, maybe four? They've had their hands in it, definitely. Yeah. And would come back when needed for flashbacks. There was a flashback where they couldn't get Elway's back. So it was just sort of, you'd see like his head, mm-hmm. just his hair. Yeah. 
but you would see just all of Lee that you needed to. Have you seen the, I don't know if it's proof of concept or whatever you want to call it, but the 10 minute short that they made to get funding? No. Because they had the Saw script. Yeah. And it's on IMDb as a short. Yeah, it's it's really good, actually. Yeah, you can watch it. And it. Tell me, Lee, um, American accents? Yes, Lord. Already, well, already thinking well, big. all that happens in it is Lee, it plays like a hospital orderly who's telling a cop after the fact what happened to him, which is he's basically playing the Amanda character. He, they do the reverse bear trap. Oh. So he's like smoking a cigarette and like his face is all kind of screwed up a little. It's a little bloody because he was in the reverse bear trap. But it's him talking to a cop who's like, so then what happened? And he, he's like, well, I woke up and I was in this thing. And so then you see him go through this and, and then he finds out, well, he's talking to the cop and the cop's like, except the guy wasn't dead, huh? He was just paralyzed talking about the guy on the floor. He mm, had to get the, yeah. but anyway, yeah, if yeah. you are listening and you haven't watched that short, I mean, it's on YouTube, it's all over the internet. You should really watch it. It's actually pretty solid. I can see how they would get a whole job absolutely. based on that short. You show up with that and a script. Yeah, you're good. I mean, it's really effective. They're short. So yeah, James Wan, that kid's going to go places. Right? He's such a sweet, tiny teddy bear. He's the nicest guy. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. It's always uh, nice when good things happen to good people. Yes. And it all started with uh, two guys, I, I refer to the characters, in an industrial bathroom, chained up with Simpler a real times. predicament to get out of. <laughs> yeah. And from there, it went on to six more films that uh, changed, but did not really uh, dip too far in quality. And over seven films and just as many years, I'd say, it was about one film a year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's quite a feat. Yeah. Pun intended, right? It is now. Feet. Feet. He chopped off his foot. Thank you for, <laughs> for that. Sawed off his foot. Sawed off. Oh my God, I get it now. <laughs> Saw. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. Also, did you love the last moment of the franchise where Dr. Gordon holds up the saw and he's like, I don't think so. Yeah. Amazing. But I just love his attitude of like, It's like, nope. yeah, you're not going to get off this easy. <laughs> oh, is he? Right. posted earlier today to our social media channels for um, if anybody had anything they wanted us to address or answer or whatever um, on this episode. So do you want, do you did, mind did if I... Did I get to any of it by accident? Uh, maybe. Right. Um, so our, our, our friend Mikey Ibarra, we talked about him on previous um, podcasts, probably the last one. <laughs> he, he said on Facebook, okay, I got one. Can Kat do her best jigsaw impersonation and say, I want to play a game? Well, joke's on you, Mikey, because I was already going to do that. If I just hadn't gotten around to it. I want to play a game. I don't have the timber. I can't. I don't you, have that you, in you my voice. You lack a certain bassiness. I do, like, but you know what? You could probably hello, John. make the effect. There were, like, I remember, I looked it up today. There were apps that, like, could do that. But now I think that, like, the official licensed Saw 3D app that came out when the movie came out is, like, long gone. Well, you but... sent me one that was like, hello, Marshall. Be sure to go see Saw. 
That was forever ago, though. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we could still... Anyway. Um, Jonathan Hughes, who is from jolly old England, by the way, if I remember correctly. Neat. Yeah. Re- he's he's a darling. across the pond. I know. He said, discuss how it affected the horror industry as many more gory movies came out on the back of the first Saw movie. The Saw franchise was quite popular, too. Two. Um, so, I mean, I think we kind of... we I don't know if we really touched on the um, legacy that it left. I mean, a lot of people talk about it being the most influential film of the 2000s. Um, well... It, when did Hostel come out? Uh, relative to that, around the same time. But really, mostly, I think what it did was it gave James Wan a career. And he went on to do excellent pared down uh, horror, like yeah. Insidious. And then around the same time, Paranormal Activity came out. And that was also just sort of like pared down horror. Um I guess what it said was um, we can make more horror because we can do it with less money without sacrificing quality. Mm -hmm. So you can say, is that really good? Because, you know, there's certainly ideas out there that are big and scary that probably should be getting made. But now there's this great um, example. Yeah. Of it's like well I shoot fast and I shoot well, yeah. And I and I don't get overly complicated. Well, what's funny is you you'll hear James and um, other people involved in the first film talk about how there were choices that were made artistically that had to be made. Like James wanted Saw to be more Hitchcockian and like you know he just didn't have time to do a lot of the shots he wanted to. So they ended sure. up filming still photographs and doing things to like fill in spots that they hadn't been able to get during the 18 days of filming. But that you watched movies that came out after that that had much higher budgets working still towards gritty style. style because that's it seemed like such a choice, you know. Mm. And in many ways it was, but that is interesting to me that that people who had more money were trying to emulate a style that came as the it was necessity it was the mother of invention making them film this sure. so simply but that people were like we want to do that even though we have 15 million dollars if i could guess i'd say that uh, the first texas chainsaw probably had the same effect oh sure and um oh an instagram buddy of mine we made friends cuz we have almost identical instagram handles mm-hmm. mine is all hallows cat and his is all hallows steve so naturally we had to be friends and he says how about this if you had to design a trap for a saw movie what would it be i had time to think about this today because i saw that a couple hours ago so i already know yeah i, I saw it as well oh you did okay good so you've had time too my thing isn't really a saw trap but just a rather practical uh, device that plays off of my vices which is if my laptop and my cell phone and my television and, and everything else that I use, I could only use them if they were attached to one of those bicycles that they put in fallout shelters to power batteries. Oh, my God. One of those stationary bicycles. Uh-huh. Oh, I'd be pedaling that thing all over. You need to see... There's a Black Mirror episode where people have to, like, exercise to earn credits. It's, like, in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, I've ever heard Have you seen... Yeah, well, anyway, you should see this episode because it might be your worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> mine is far more cringeworthy than that. Oh, wait. I don't exercise a worse? ton, people. That's what I'm getting at. Oh, boy. Far more time in front of the old laptop than on the treadmill. 
But if those were to be combined. Yeah, okay, I get yeah. it. That's not too horrific to me, but all right. Mine would be, I was just thinking that they never did anything with fingernails. True. And I think about like, you know, there's a lot of stuff where, for instance, the insurance executive guy has to, you mentioned the um, carousel his employees are on mm. and he has to choose two of them to live and the rest of them are going to die. He chooses who's going to live by sticking his hand inside a thing that like impales his hand. Like That's just right. So there's plenty of stuff where people have to stick their hands in places and do awful things. But, you know, I would imagine a trap where you have to put your hand in somewhere and that like needles or bamboo or something equally bad. You have to force something under your fingernails. Your Marshall's making a really ugly face right now because he's disgusted. But right? Yeah. Fingernails. And then yours really more answers a question it's than the mine worst. did. worst. Yeah. Mine was just like, what what device could you construct based on your uh, your personal vices? <laughs> and yours is uh, what hurts the most. Mine, I think that would hurt a lot. That'd be yeah. pretty bad. I mean, we've all like accidentally yeah. had a splinter. Well, I, I've never had there. like like a muscle get skewered by anything. No. But I have had like a splinter go pretty. You mean far you've under. never been super glued to the upholstery of a car like the lead singer of Lincoln Park? Who that was? <laughs> it is who that was. Short answer, no. <laughs> Long answer, no. <laughs> All right, thanks, folks, for uh, for writing into us. Yeah, that's uh, fun. If you want to write anything to us uh, having to do with any of our previous thirty six episodes, feel free at boysandghouls at gmail dot com. Uh, you can rate us on iTunes. Rate us well. If you're going to give us a poor rating, just go find something else to do with your time. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Go yeah. ahead. Because you, you can't always remember when it's the 13th of the month. No. It'll sneak right up on you. It will. But new episodes on the 13th. Uh, we're on Instagram. Mm -hmm. As we're saying, Kat, find us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. And I must point out, Marshall does an incredible job of curating content that's fun, that you haven't seen before, that you forgot about, that... You didn't even know existed. He does a really great job on Twitter and Pinterest and all other platforms of finding really cool stuff to share with you that like that happens every day, not just the 13th of every month. So that's a good reason to follow us. So um, find us on cyberspace, people. Yeah, I like we're, to say we're out hi. there. We're, we're lurking around. And Cat, uh, until next time. Beware the moon. Okay. Be there.